You are listening to episode two of the In Fewer Words podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about two more reads of 2021, Department of Speculation by Jenny Offhill and Oracle, which is a collection of poems by Kate Marvin. I'm going to start with Department of Speculation. I loved this one. I started it on the 9th and finished it on the 11th, so I read it in two days. Um, I would give it out of five stars, four and a half. I don't know why. I find myself reluctant to give a five star because this was really, really amazing, but I don't know what a five would be. I guess I would know when I read one, but with or without the five star designation, this is one of the best books that I've read in a while, probably since The Third Hotel by Laura Vandenberg, which I read last year. Honestly, I'd probably give that one a five. Okay, so I guess I do have a basis of what constitutes a five. That book was incredible, um, but I'm not talking about that book here. But this one dealt with themes of depression, what I called ironic existentialism, love, mania, and suicide. This book is written more in a stanza kind of style, chunks or blocks of prose versus just continuous paragraphs, which I really enjoyed. It didn't feel like it was incohesive. It was a narrative of a relationship, a story of motherhood interspersed with friendships. There were streams of consciousness, bits of memory, lists and quotes, musings on space, writing, philosophy, Buddhism, Everything feels linked, though, through our narrator. Well, she's our narrator for most of the story. I actually really liked that the POV switches from I to the wife. There's kind of like a third-person shift. This is after there's an affair revealed. And then into the end, we get a we. So I think that that worked really well. But the I and the different kinds of musings, I think that... It was attached to our character's psychology, and the wife, as we refer to her, becomes more and more unhinged as the story goes on, so her kind of displaced thoughts totally work, and they're interesting tidbits too, and they come back, you know, so we'll get a tidbit about space, and then five pages later, we'll get another one. So most of them aren't freestanding, and doesn't feel like there are links that aren't made. It almost seems to me actually that the narrator is bipolar or something along those lines and these stanzas almost suggest manic episodes. So the form actually goes very nicely with the content and the plot, which I think is definitely a stylistic choice. And before I go any further, I would love to read the summary or whatever it says on the back. When they were young and giddy and in love, Department of Speculation was their codename for all the thrilling uncertainties that lay ahead. Years later, when their marriage reaches a sudden breaking point, the wife tries to retrace the steps that have led them to this place, evoking everyone from Kafka to the Stoics to Russian cosmonauts. In language that shimmers with rage and longing and wit, Ophel has created a brilliantly suspenseful love story. A novel to read in one sitting, even as its piercing meditations linger long after the last page. 
I can definitely attest to reading it in one sitting because I read it in two days, which was basically two sittings. Um, and I would like to read one of my favorite scenes from the book. So here we see the wife meeting the husband's lover. It's on page 129, or section 32. She would not have let one of her students write the scene this way. Not with the pouring rain and the wife's broken umbrella and the girl in her long black coat. To begin with, she'd suggest taking out the first scene on the subway, the boring one, where the wife pretends to be a Buddhist. I'm a person, she is a person, I'm a person, she is a person, etc., etc. Needed? Can this be shown through gesture? She would ask for more details of the girl's appearance. She'd cut the implausible handshake and point out how stilted the dialogue is. You have caused my family great pain. I don't want it to be an abstraction to you anymore. She might pencil in the girl crying or saying some small thing. Surely she feels something. Wasn't there hand wringing? She'd slow down the moment before the girl turns on her heel without a word and leaves them. Nothing else here? She'd point out that what's interesting is actually the lead up to the scene. How the wife takes a picture of herself before she leaves the house. How she looks somehow as if she is standing in a wind tunnel. How the husband calls her just as she gets off the subway and says, don't come here, a change of plans. I'll meet you outside. Another favorite part of the story is when they get bed bugs and they just simply don't tell anybody. They try different ways to get rid of them and they just can't. And they accept living with these bed bugs, just like they're living with all of their other problems and the wife's issues and whatever else. Um, I thought the ending was also very believable for me. I've heard that others weren't quite sure, but I thought it made sense considering the wife's psychology and some of the musings that we get laid out beforehand. It didn't take me by surprise. I think it definitely could have gone a different way, but I was satisfied with the ending, and I picked up Weather, which is her novel from last year, and I'm very excited to read that one. It's written in the same kind of stanzic, I just invented that word, I don't think it exists, um, style, and as far as I can tell, there are some dark psychological elements there as well. I would highly recommend this book, one of the better books I've read in a while. I personally really love the episodic feel of this book, and I would love to publish a novel like this because, I don't know, continuous narrative kind of intimidates me. Not that this isn't continuous, but it's continuous in a different way. It's like continuous segments almost, and it kind of combines you know, the different parts or contained parts of a short story and the longer character development and plot details of a novel into one book. And as someone who is generally a writer of short stories and is intimidated by novels, I would love to be able to do this. I also am huge on character psychology uh, psychological realism, all of that sort of thing. So she not only writes in themes that I'm interested in, but in a style that I'm very much interested in. So I really, 
appreciated the craft components of this book as well. The next book is Oracle, which is the collection of poems. I need to preface this with the fact that I've read very little poetry. I don't really know how to read poetry. It's kind of intimidating. Um, I guess that depends on the poet and the style of poem. But this collection I enjoyed, but also did not enjoy. <laughs> I would definitely need to reread it, I think, to really get what the author wants me to get out of it. Out of five stars, I'd give this two and a half because I definitely didn't dislike it, but I wouldn't say that I really enjoyed it. So I wouldn't want to give it a two, but I wouldn't want to give it a three. I might even say 2.7. This took me about two weeks, but I was reading other books. This was kind of a side read. I had bought this on impulse because I wanted to read things outside of my usual genre, which is literary fiction, in case I didn't already make that too clear. I got this in a sale. It was like a hardcover on sale for like $7, and I thought that I should check it out. It also explored themes that I was interested in reading about that inform my fiction. So before I talk more about those, I'll read you the inside sleeve. The speakers of Oracle occupy the outer borough cityscape of New York's Staten Island, where they move through worlds glittering with refuse and peopled by ghosts, of a dead lover, of a friend lost to suicide, of a dog with glistening eyes. Kate Marvin's haunting, passionate poems explore themes of loss, of the vulnerability of womanhood in a world hostile to it, and of the fraught, strangely compelling landscape of adolescence. From Let the Day Perish. I was meaner than a flimsy dollar the change machine refuses. I was duplicitous as a Canadian dime. I slid through your town only to announce my prejudices, and only to slip my tongue into the slot of your mouth. So I obviously touched on some of those themes in that summary, but the ones that I noted were loss, being female, youth, death, ghosts, and alcoholism. There are a lot of poems about alcoholism. I guess the biggest reason that I wasn't wild about this collection was that there was a very strong sense of desperation to me, a sense of leaning on men for validation. I mean, it might have been satirical because we are explicitly told that there is a thematic interest in womanhood and how society is opposed to it. But I found that this desperation and this leaning made the narrators almost weak to me, like very much the battered woman trope, and I think that I need another read to better appreciate that, but I found myself pitying the narrators, which I don't typically enjoy doing in a book. I don't need to necessarily align myself with the narrator, but I need to not pity the narrator, and it seemed that so many of them, they were referencing a he, whether someone no longer in their life or someone who had died and how they had been wronged. And there was just a very pervasive tone of bitterness I felt. And I was having trouble stepping away from that. I did make note of the poems that I liked the most. My first husband was my last, Let the Day Perish, Dread Beach, and then my two favorites, An Etiquette for Eyes. This was lovely, truly. 
and high school in Suzu. I may not be pronouncing that correctly. This had some very interesting lines, which I'll read to you in a minute here. I mean, her language and metaphors can be very lovely when I'm not totally lost and confused, but these poems in particular stood out to me as ones that I found the most powerful. I'm not really sure what else I can point to because I'm not super familiar with poetry on a craft level and haven't read enough poetry to really point to what's happening here. I'll read you some lines from high school in Suzu. I have to pee. In the girls' room, I squat where thousands of girls have squatted, the rich minerals wefting up from the toilet's well. Imagine how all of our urine moves through the mysterious pipes below, leaves the high school, depositing itself into the river that days later, I'll move along with the throng of idiots I've joined to crawl this country as fleas do a dog. Yeah, I read that. I was like, whoa. Um, Yeah, that really struck me. So I couldn't not note this poem. But you'll see, I don't even know how to read poetry. Um, My tone of voice and inflections had nothing to do with the section breaks and the line breaks because I don't know where they're supposed to go. I wish I did, but I don't. And I'm definitely more comfortable with fiction. But again, that's why I picked this to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. I'm also going to read to you from An Etiquette for Eyes. I don't know if I wore glasses when I met you, but I know the last time I saw you, you drank a drink I bought you with another woman who was far uglier than I have ever been. I have brown eyes. Did I ever tell you? Your eyes are too, too blue, tell all awful, and too, too pretty. You make all the girls swoon and then lament how harpies pound on your door, plucking the very shingles off your roof conducting through their unanimous will a plot to kill your hive's queen, fix a hose from the car's tailpipe to pump barnyard dread straight into your ken. Therefore, you demand I ought never wish to lie in your bed. I have black eyes, did I tell you? But your eyes are damp blue, fingers in winter blue, worrying about a prom date blue, never washed a dish blue. Have I mentioned my eyes are dead brown, dirt brown, stone brown, done with you brown, screaming out in the streets I'm so drunk brown, I'm just ignoring the noise rising up from streets of sleep brown, as in, as brown as dead leaves, because my love's eyes were dead brown. And when he shouted down at that drunk on the street that New Year's Eve from my third floor window, that drunk man called him Whiskey Whore Boy. I think I read that one a little better with more (laughs) poetry inflection. But I will definitely read this again at some point, possibly do another pod on it and see how my thoughts have changed I'm also hoping to read more poetry between then and now so I can kind of have a better foundation, but I'd recommend it. Um, Even if this review didn't make you super excited about it, she has some beautiful lines, and I think the poems I read really underscore that. And I think that there's a lot here to work with, especially if you're interested in themes of death and loss. They're very, very pervasive. There are several poems about um, a dead girl from high school and a dead dog, and they recur. So I do appreciate the thematics for sure. Even small words, like the poem I just read had the word barnyard. That pops up in a few places, which I don't feel like is a very common word. So I definitely noticed little things like that and appreciated them. Thank you for listening to episode two. And you can keep up with my reads on Instagram at Alexa is reading. 
and I hope to see you in the next episode.